uh, you know, teaching kids about, yeah. you know, comfortable and an uncomfortable mm-hmm. touch or like, I agree. or <clears throat> how would you say on top of that question, what's the terminology you would use? Like, you know, safe touch, good touch, mm-hmm. uncomfortable touch. Like what would be good? Well, I think you as a parent have to observe what's, what's going on and, and you need to limit it at times. Mm-hmm. And you may say, Ooh, I think Sally is through with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's move on to something else from that standpoint. Yeah. Or, you know, we're growing up, we don't feel as comfortable as we used to about body touch or mm-hmm. things like that. Or just redirect them to something else and stop them. Because if you can look at the child and see if the child's uncomfortable or not. Yeah. And I think, that's a, a, I think that's a big thing to do, mm-hmm. is to watch that. You know, Uncle Harry has hugged me in a bear hug every time I've seen him. But Uncle Harry's getting more cuddly yeah. and more tighter and pulling me against him. And if you're a teenage girl, you don't need that. Yeah. Uncle Harry needs to respect your space. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, there's a hug from the side or something like that or, you know, bump his fists mm-hmm. or something, it doesn't have to be a full frontal let me squish you up against me hug. Yeah. And you need to respect that both ways, from the kid's standpoint and from Uncle Harry's standpoint. Yeah. So what would you say is like, um, you know, what parents could teach their kids about or even at what age, you know, telling them, okay, this is, you know, safe touch or or what's the terminology? I think you you start early. Uh I think you, as a child is growing up, I think the the best thing to do is to use correct body work parts for uh, languages. You know, don't make up crazy names for their privates, for the genitals. Um, because if you make a, a crazy name for a genital and you try to tell someone that someone has done something to you and you use a word that's not a normal word, they may not understand what you're talking about. Yeah. So use regular names. And there's no reason to think that the genitals are any different than the eye and the ear and the nose and space mm-hmm. and, and the, on your face. Um, they're vagina and penis. That's just the name of the body part Anatomy. itself. So it's not... It's not a taboo thing. It's just part of your body. Mm -hmm. So recognize what those words are. Let the child learn them up front. And don't let them feel that that's a part of you to be ashamed about. Mm -hmm. It's a part of your body. It's a part that's your private part of your body that you have the right to control and nobody else does. Mm -hmm. So that's important, I think, as it goes forward. And then I think you've got to teach your kids as they grow up to respect space. Respect space, someone else's, as well as your own. You don't run and jump in somebody's lap. Uh, if it's someone that you feel comfortable with and you want to sit on their knee and say hello or something, then it needs to be something that both of you agree to. Yeah. It's not a force. Ooh, there's Sally. I'm going to pull her on my knee. You know, you 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 got to respect that space. So I think using correct language, um, talking about things that are acceptable and not acceptable, talking about what part of your body is private and does not need to be touched by others, and then talking about space and what is acceptable and not as acceptable I think is very 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 important and as I said it goes both ways because you need to respect their space as well as them respecting yours yeah and that doesn't change the relationship that you have with somebody it's a loving good relationship Mm -hmm. but it's even better because you respect each other's space yeah I think um people can find it so difficult you know I've seen adults think that they have almost a right to touching family oh, yeah. or other people yeah. thinking, oh, well, you, they, mm. you need to give me a kiss like yeah. I'm your aunt. I'm your aunt. Yeah. Exactly. You know, a yeah. hug or whatever. And because I, I feel like this different generation who didn't get the same training yeah. or exposure, they don't understand why right. you need space. And the why child needs to be empowered to say, no, we don't need to do that. But hey, mm-hmm. how are you? 
it's good to see you, yeah. but you don't necessarily have to have that full frontal hug. Yeah, and the support. Or that kiss, yeah. Because I think when when children don't have that support from their parents, like, you know, for example, a child could learn about this, but when they don't have the support people around them, it can be so hard with anything. Even oh, yeah. reporting abuse, yeah. kind of like we talked about in the training, when that support isn't there, it's so hard to mm-hmm. go forward because oh, our instinct is to mm-hmm. go with the group. Yeah. We'll know? go back to the parents, too, because they need that education because they could be the ones that say, oh, that's Aunt Sally, why aren't you hugging her? Mm-hmm. You know, and parents need to understand Maybe that's a reason they don't want to hug them, or we need to respect each other's space. Mm-hmm. And that's where the idea comes in was, mm, I think we've done enough of that. Let's move on to something yeah. else. You know, so that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. So I think that not only do kids need to be educated, but parents do too. Raise that awareness. Mm-hmm. It's really important. So um, to get, you you mentioned boys and how they're not, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they, they get into puberty and they don't want to report as much, you know, to go more into detail, why do you feel like, you know, I, f- I guess from mm-hmm. my perspective and what I've seen, it just mm-hmm. feels like men don't report and boys they because don't. it's, yeah. you know, societal thing. They make them yeah. feel like you have to be strong and nothing. I think it all goes down to uh, masculinity mm-hmm. and the perception of what males have of themselves and their own masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have marked people for so long as to what their roles are. I yeah. think some of those are changing now mm-hmm. and we're beginning to, to back off of some of that. But I think that guys in particular, if particularly if they've been sexually abused, physical is different because a lot of times physical marks will show yeah. and you know a guy's been beat up. Yeah. And, and let's talk about that a second. Guys many times settle disputes. They just talk each other and it's yeah. over. Women don't. Women carry that grudge forever and ever and I hate them they'll say and I'm not going to be around them with a guy typically you can get into a fight get over it and move on Yeah. now that's not talking about gangs and things that's just mm-hmm. as an individual but I think men feel self conscious you know we talk a lot about guys don't cry uh, and it's kind of the same type thing as that that they may feel like they've been demasculinized uh, if they have been abused sexually and they don't know where to go or how to go and they're afraid that if they do tell then they will be marked mm-hmm. you know uh am, am i not what society wants of me uh is, is there a connotation that somebody has put a label on me or something like that yeah. so i i see that that is the, the the changes and it's puberty it's after hormones kick in and, and a male's body changes and they become more like a guy mm-hmm. like a male a, a, an adult male yeah. that's when that happens but as i said earlier it's suppressed. It's still there, and it's still affecting them. And they may be exhibiting some of those uh, behaviors we were talking about before, the extensive uh, academic performance, or uh, I've got to be really good in what I do, or whatever, to keep me so involved in what I'm doing that I don't think about what happened to me. Yeah. I'm proving that I'm not bad, and there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. But in later in life, it'll till typically, typically will come back up. And that's when they need help again. It just bowls out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, anyone who's taken the dark delight training, will remember that there was a gentleman who, his male babysitter, uh, uh, did sexual acts with him of some type, mm-hmm. and he said, "I I couldn't talk about him. I never wanted to talk about him. I couldn't do that." And I think I used women. I used women after women after women just to prove my own masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you run into a lot with guys once they've gone through puberty. They feel like that it's not something they can talk about 
without being labeled and so they just stuff it inside and that's not good because we need to get it out and have the have it worked with so that you can move forward and have a normal regular life yeah it can affect you and i think that's that's so interesting is you know i'll I'll talk about people and and i've had a tendency of people Mm -hmm. um just like telling me things in their history and i'm like well this this can affect you like yeah. this has effects on you and mm-hmm. um trauma in general yeah. has did effects. you ever get any help and they're gonna right. say no and they're gonna say what is so ironic to me is they'll say oh well no it's not affecting me like i'm fine i went through this and i'm fine i'm like but it you is. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> you think you that, are <laughs> that very statement you just made yeah. shows it is exactly so i'm just like uh, it's so hard to you know try to advocate for somebody like right there with them and say like you you know there's nothing wrong with getting help yeah. there's nothing wrong with oh, just no. talking to somebody Mm-mm. um and i could go on and you know about misconceptions with counseling but mm-hmm. that's a whole nother thing yeah. so but yeah. when we deal with cases too we deal we go we try to be very extremely confidential mm-hmm. uh everything that we do is confidential locked and done and we people don't just walk off the street and come to see us and uh we don't take volunteers in our our building to be there or things like that uh, you as an intern had to go through a background check before mm-hmm. you could come be with us lots of things like that and, and we're very careful that anyone who does come to us that all their records and everything are completely confidential yeah. and not anything for the public to know yeah and that another safety measure that i love is that like the door's locked you yeah. can't you can't go in you unless you have a key in. or mm-hmm. someone opens right. it from the inside so Correct. that's really nice mm-hmm. we have to allow you in the building yeah so that's important um, so going back to, well, and also I wanted to mention, you said, what was it? One in six girls yes. get, and then one in, one in three boys. And then it just, you know, that statistic just goes well, away once they For the favorite. adults, it's one in six, uh, women, uh-huh. adult women, and it's one in 33 men okay, are okay. sexually abused or approached for either rape or attempted rape over the life of their lifetime after age 18. Mm-hmm. Below 18, from a child standpoint, it's one in 10 children, as okay. uh, all of them as a group, will be approached for an unwanted sexual advance. Okay. Yeah, I just want to get that right. So you mentioned minors and how it can even happen <laughs> with a minor and another one. Yes. Can you go, can you explain, you know, mm-hmm. how that could even happen? How yeah. the one-on-one can't yeah. even happen between, yeah. you it's, know? It's called problematic sexual abuse and it's a child-on-child type situation. And in most cases, it's an older child who is uh, perping or doing sexual advances to a younger child. And it could be anything from uh, a bullying, uh, an older boy that uh, makes a a younger boy perform a sexual act on him because he's so much stronger that he forces him to do it. Or it can be a, a sibling situation, an older sibling showing a younger child this is what you're going to be doing as you grow up mm-hmm. or things along those lines um, and the problem is there's not enough help out there for the child on child type situation mm-hmm. we work strongly in the industry with the victims mm-hmm. we don't work as strongly with the perpetrators when there are a juvenile yeah the best thing that, that you have going is the department of juvenile justice and they have homes and things where the kids will go from time to time to receive services and things like that. There's programs that they try to put them through that they're okay, but it's not the intense therapeutic treatment 
that a victim gives. And that's been worked on. Um, and therapists are trying to find a way to come up with programs that help that older child figure out why they did that and where they came from. And you got to remember, in many cases, it may be that something happened to them, so they can be a victim and receive the other side, and they may not be just a perpetrator from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, And they could be that they've observed it, they've seen it, or they could be a victim themselves. But that's uh, an area that's, that's, there's a lot of work being done right now, and a lot needs to be done. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like even on a whole talking about how there's not enough help with perpetrators. Like people don't people don't think about how, you know, yes, they got caught, yes, you know, they've got the justice that mm-hmm. is deserved, but you have to think about when, you know, they're released eventually, yeah. some of them. You have to think about prevention because they're Absolutely. just going to go out and do the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Unless they get the training to be able to understand why they did it mm-hmm. and how can we direct them to get them back on the straight and narrow path. Yeah. And you know, you hit on something else. We're talking about therapy as it goes forward. There's not enough therapists. There's not enough therapists out there in order to provide all the services that are needed for these types of crimes and these types of these people that need help. Mm-hmm. Uh, waiting lists are terrifically long. Wow. Um, right now, our waiting list is reasonable, probably two weeks or less right now. Six months ago, the waiting list was two months. Um, and there's places that the waiting list is six months, um, and it's 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 tough. That's that's an area that uh, the more therapists are needed all the time. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> I'm sure our world isn't you know necessarily. I can't speak exactly as if I know everything, but it just doesn't seem like it's getting any safer. I know. You know? I agree. So, um, well, my next question would be. You know, if a perpetrator is sexually abusing someone, what um, what would you say someone should do if they're the victim and that mm-hmm. perpetrator is threatening abuse mm-hmm. or harm to another person if yeah. they go out and try to tell someone? Tell a trusted adult. Mm-hmm. You still got to tell a trusted adult because it's not going to stop and it's not going to go away until there's some type of an intervention coming in. And the threat of doing something threat it may happen anyway it may not happen anyway but you can't continue living your life that way you have to tell and and you you tell somebody that you trust we particularly with kids many times the disclosures are made at school because the kid may feel extremely close to their teacher or to a school counselor or to a bus driver uh, or to a coach because they they see that they're treated well by them and respected by them and that's where they want to tell, yeah. uh, particularly if it's happening at home, and the home people in the home have not intervened to stop what's going on. So I, I you can't. You, you got you got to tell because it will never stop unless you do tell. Yeah. And that takes strength, and it takes a lot of stamina, yeah. and a lot of times it's not the easy thing to do. I mean, I I can't imagine how frightening it can be for someone, especially a child. Yeah, very much so. That's why they keep it to themselves. And if it's a situation that could be a family member, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's an aunt or an uncle that's abusing you, you need to tell your mom or dad if you feel comfortable with them and let them make the choice Mm -hmm. as to how it's dealt with with the other person. It's not up to you. And that's where we come in, too, um, by giving the opportunity a place for the child to tell their story. Then it gives them... The, the strength 
to be able to indicate what's happening to them. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that we're there. Yeah, it's it's really needed. Um, so you've already talked about some, you know, statistics and even misconceptions mm-hmm. about sexual abuse and how it can happen. What do you think are some more that you haven't already mentioned about, you know, abuse in the home and in general? Mm-hmm. I think that one of the big things is that being a male, I think that a lot of times we think that all the victims of sexual abuse are female. Mm-hmm. And 90% of them are, but that other 10% are male. And I think there's more males out there who are being abused that have never said anything that I really think that that statistical number is a higher number. Yeah. <clears throat> and it can happen early age, and it can happen in later age, too. Um, and, for example, you may have a, a, a teacher. Um, in the past, there's been church issues with through some of the churches. There's been all sorts of things where a child has been groomed so that they can be abused sexually. Yeah. And I think that males are abused sexually often that we don't really know about. And I think one of the reasons it continues to go on is because of what we said earlier. Likely, they're not gonna say anything. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's an important section that, that's still out there that is there's a lot more going on that we don't really know about. Yeah. I think that's important. And, and let's just widen that on out. I told you we did 250 cases last year at the powerhouse. Mm -hmm. And there's child abuse uh, organizations, child advocacy centers, and sexual assault centers all throughout the state of Georgia. So that if something happens to you anywhere in the state, you should be able to get pretty much the same types of services. But out of that 250, I guarantee you that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's at least that many more or more than that where the kids and the adults just said nothing yeah. because they were scared or they didn't have the ability or anybody to tell to mm-hmm. or they felt like if I got out of this situation they're probably going to do it to my little sister instead so there's there's lots of reasons why people don't tell yeah. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's sad but I guarantee you that that 250 is just the tip of the iceberg of people who are being abused physically or sexually, just in this three-county region of Rabin, Stevens, and Habersham County. Yeah, it's a lot. It is. I mean, you don't think <clears throat> about it. Um, so... How are we doing on your questions? Good, we're almost done. Okay. Um, so my next question would be, you know, why would someone not believe a victim of sexual assault? Like oh, what? For, for, for protection. Um, you might go, uh, a child may be the person who's being abused, and it may be like mom's boyfriend, um, but the mom won't go against the boyfriend Mm -hmm. because it may be that the boyfriend is providing the money that keeps the family going. Or in the case of a dad, things along those lines. We see that a lot in domestic abuse also. Women don't have the income because they're relying, they're running the house, the guy's out making the money, and yet he's doing the abuse. And if he's doing the abuse and we turn him in, he goes to jail, where do I get the money to live on? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a big thing. <clears throat> and, and many times uh, parents will, uh, take the, will make their own decision. Uh, they, they'll, they'll protect the abuser as opposed to the child because of circumstances, whether it's monetary or where they live or, or what's going on from that standpoint. Or they may be afraid of being alone. Yeah. Uh, all those things come into it. So, and that, and that makes everything harder to deal with. Mm-hmm. 
I think on a from a standpoint of like counseling, you know, you notice that women tend, you know, when they have a history of abuse, they mm-hmm. tend to be okay with that happening in their own home. Yeah. And saying like even telling the victim mm-hmm. themselves that it was their fault yeah. and it's just awful. It becomes what is a more, more normal. Yeah. And those kids that grow up not knowing anything but that, they think that when they go home at night, all the rest of their friends that dad comes in and does the same thing to them too. Yeah. It runs as a cycle in families. And I, I know that many times you've heard that uh, this man may be abusive to his wife physically. Mm-hmm. And then his kids have seen that all their life. And they, they think that's the way that you treat your wife. Yeah. And so we see a lot of that coming through where cycles of physical and sexual abuse tend to run in families. And that cycle has to be broken. Yeah. Uh, Uncle John may have abused not only me, but all my brother and sister's kids, too. You know, that goes, that's Uncle John. we got to look after Uncle John. Uh, so that type of stuff happens. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's sad. Very. Um, on top of that, what would you say, other than, like, what we've talked about with parents, mm-hmm. you know, and getting awareness, is there anything else you would you think that parents need to know in order to, like, in order to better protect their children? The biggest thing is keep your eyes open. <clears throat> don't get complacent to where, oh, everything's perfectly fine. Uh, little Jane's going to go over and visit the neighbor and, and play every afternoon so I can be in here and work on dinner <clears throat> or whatever along those lines. I think that parents have to keep their eyes open, always question, mm-hmm. you know, is this a safe place? Is it not a safe place? We don't want to put this child in a one-on-one type situation. Uh, we want to be involved with everything they do. Uh, we're at the school activities. We're at the church activities. We're at the Little League activities. We see what's going on. And it's not, oh, the neighbor next door will take them. And I don't have to go to Little League because he's going to always take his kid. He'll take mine too. Yeah. you, you got to stay involved with it. You had the child. You, you agreed that you wanted to have a child, and you did. So you got the responsibility of raising that child and protecting mm-hmm. that child as they grow up till they get to the stage that they can protect themselves and become adults. So you don't do that by pushing the child off to someone else. Mm-hmm. You do it by staying actively involved in their life, talking with them, and keeping an open relationship and verbal dialogue with them. Mm-hmm. I know it. sometimes when kids get to be teenagers, it's really tough for a parent to identify and keep talking. But you know what's, what's you got to know what's going on. Yeah. you got to be involved. And don't just say, well, he's 15, he'll be fine. Don't worry about him, go off to your room. Mm-hmm. Stay involved with the kid's life. Yeah, and I think that can that can help with the healthy attachment and show the child, oh, okay, like my parent cares about me and they want to know it's in my life. And yes. if something happens, they're not going to respond, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that's, I don't, you know, you can handle it yeah. or like your protection is what they have in mind. So I think one of the most important things when you think about that is a parent approaching when they talk about with their kids you know, something that can happen like that, saying, like, you know, you can come mm-hmm. to me, and I'm not going to punish you. And I'm not going to do a judgment on you. Yeah. You want to keep those lines open so that you're the go-to person. Mm-hmm. When something changes in their life or something they don't understand or something that they need to just ask questions about, that they feel comfortable talking to you. Mm-hmm. I think that goes into hand-in-hand <clears throat> in hand with, you know, going a little bit more into counseling, goes hand-in-hand in hand with, if you are not willing to talk to your child about it, they will go somewhere else. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, the the birds and the bees talk, yeah. the, you know, anything like that that yeah. you think is uncomfortable mm-hmm. as a parent, but you have to mm-hmm. think, okay, where, you know, 
they're going to mm-hmm. want to know eventually. Oh, absolutely. And when you're not the one educating them about, mm-hmm. it, about it, they're going to keep going back to the same source. Well, they're going to get it from their friends, and it yeah. may or may not be right, you know, from exactly. that standpoint. So it, they need to understand what is correct, what's acceptable, and they need to hear it from someone who's a responsible adult mm-hmm. so that they can learn how to grow up and open and be able to talk with you about anything. Yeah, that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the case, you know, a child goes to an adult and mm-hmm. reports sexual assault, what do you think is the process and the proper response of that adult? Okay. <clears throat> There's three different ways that this may happen. The first thing is that a child may come to you and, and disclose to you that they have been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. The second thing may be that you walked in, uh, say, the child's room, and some and abuse was going on, a sexual abuse of some type. Or the third one may be that you just suspect something's going on. Mm-hmm. The child's not acting the way that they typically do, and something's not right. So mm-hmm. you suspect it. <clears throat> in all of those cases, typically in the state of Georgia, you make a report. And that report is made by the law to DBAC, Department of Family and Children's Services. And then they would investigate what's going on. If it's a disclosure to you or you walk in on it, then you do know that it's there, you know that it's present, and that you do have to make that report as mandated reporters. A case will be set up and they'll be coming to the powerhouse so that, or a similar child advocacy center so that the case can be worked as it goes forward. Mm -hmm. If you feel that the child is in danger beyond the normal, that something could be happening to them Mm -hmm. that could put them in a physical, harmful, damaged way, then you may, instead of doing defects, want to make that uh, report to law enforcement instead. Law enforcement is typically involved with all the cases that we see in most other places, too. And that's their own purpose because you never know what the child is going to say. So that child could disclose that someone in the waiting room may be one of the persons that that may be, uh, you know, doing something to them. So they're there to protect that as it goes forward. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. The the last thing is if you suspect it, then that something is going on, you still make that report to to DFAC. And when you do that, you're not accusing anybody. You're not saying there's something wrong. You're saying something is not right, mm-hmm. somebody needs to look into this and see what's going on. Yeah. And defects would typically do a, um, a, a visit or something mm-hmm. to, to determine if things are where they need to be. Yeah. But, but the steps are also don't quiz them, don't talk to them a lot, don't tell me all about this, what's going on, I need to know about this. Yeah. Don't do that. You need to know enough to know how to report that yeah. something has happened in those type pieces, but then let the professionals do their job. Mm-hmm. Let my forensic interviewer ask the questions that are give you the opportunity to tell what happened. Yeah. Let law enforcement do their job, let defects do their job. This is a, a crisis time in a person's life mm-hmm. when it's extremely important that things are done right mm-hmm. and that the child or the victim feels supported because yeah. that's very, very, very important. Yeah. So that's the steps. Don't ask too much. Just get enough to know that something has happened. Make the report and then defects and law enforcement will take over and take it from there. Mm-hmm. And you'll be kept involved, and the parent will be kept involved in the, uh, the structure as things move forward so they know what's going on. Uh, and it's in, it's the, that's the important way to do it. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. includes, you know, telling the victim, like, I'm here to support you. Yes. Like, you can trust that what I do with this information is yes. to keep you safe. Absolutely. And, you know, we don't further investigate because you that's the reason you call defects mm-hmm. when you just have enough 
suspicion because mm-hmm. they are the trained investigators. Correct. You, know, you don't go in and do that because that could just, you just don't know what can happen. No, that's correct. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. Cool. Um, Anything else that we covered? I think that? the last thing is what would you tell someone who, I think you've already kind of said this, mm-hmm. but, e- you know, even someone who may be possibly listening, although I have a small audience, is, you know, what would you who tell Who knows? Someone? We may have a huge one for it. Right. Um, uh, someone who has experienced sexual assault but is too afraid to report Mm -hmm. it. Encourage them to report it. Mm -hmm. Because you can't get the help you need if you don't report it. And and that reporting may be, if you're an an adult, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a case. Mm -hmm. Any law enforcement doesn't have to be involved or anything else. Go to your local sexual assault center and tell them that you've been sexually assaulted and that you need services. And that service, depending on when you were sexually assaulted, may be a SANE exam, mm-hmm. sexual assault nurse examiner, to physically check to make sure that your body's okay mm-hmm. and that you don't have any uh, social diseases at all. Or it may just be that you're there because it happened a while back. It's haunting you. You can't get it out of your system. You see it all the time. I need therapy. Mm-hmm. So that's an important thing from that standpoint. As an adult, you have the right to choose what happens. Nobody can say you have to make a case against this person. Nobody can say they have to go to jail. None of that at all. It's totally your choice as to what you want. Mm -hmm. Kids are different. The law says all the stuff that will happen and it will be investigated. All the people will be involved. And if you are a perpetrator, you're gonna be punished. Mm -hmm. So, and that's different. But typically that child has reported to a trusted adult. And so they're carrying it forward from there. But as an adult, if, if, it's, if it's there and it's haunting you and you still don't want to do anything, you still need to because it's still bothering you. Yeah. It's still out there. It's confidential. Walk up to the sexual assault center and say, I need some help. And you can be amazed the things that are out there to help and get through it. Yeah. And I think it's really good to know, for people to know that there are people out there who want to support you yes. and want to help you. Absolutely. And you are not alone. Mm-hmm. So. No, not alone at all. And I think many victims feel like I'm the only person this has ever happened to. Yeah. And, and it's not in any shape, form, or fashion. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, that concludes my questions. Well, cool. It was really I've had a good, good time talking with you. Me too. It was awesome. Thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>